106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Scotland Yard said the body of 30-year-old Don Scott was discovered by a friend who had left him in the car hours earlier. St. Helens has erupted again. Egan described Gacy as rational, premeditated, and evil, who killed his victims like flies when they got in his way. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. This one's for the freaks and the decibel geeks. Oh, yeah, everybody's included. Not always on time, but always worth the wait. Yes, it is the Decibel Geek Podcast. I'm Aaron Camaro, joined as always by Chris Sinzak. My man, how are you feeling? Good. Ready to uh, open a box full of nostalgia. Heck, yeah, man. This is going to be awesome. Merry Christmas, by the way. Same to you. This is going to be a lot of fun, man. We're, it's, it's year in review time again. Mm-hmm. You know it'll always win. And it's always a lot of fun. It's the only thing that keeps us together. It's the only thing. It's, you know, the other shows are all great, but this is what makes us feel like we're actually almost teachers in yeah. a way, you know, because we go back, we do the research, we, we work real hard, we bleed and sweat the year we're going to find out about, we're going to pass on the information to you. And this is a damn good one. Yeah. This is a really good one because this kicks off a decade that just may be the best decade in rock and roll history. It's a good argument for it. Yeah, for sure. So today, we're going back to 1980. That's right. Uh, I've been trying skinny ties on all week. <laughs> it just doesn't look right on me, though. I don't know. I'm, I'm wearing less makeup, but then more makeup. Right. Yeah, so it's all it's all the same. It's all it's just different colors. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, we've yeah, we've got a lot to get to. Um, let's take care of some business first. We need to... Uh, Acknowledge the Geeks of the Week this week. Heck yeah, always our Geeks of the Week. These are the people out there in the internet world. They're sharing the word of Decibel Geek. How do we grow? It's grassroots. People get out there and they say, man, this is a really cool podcast I heard about and I want you to hear about it too. And these guys are on here and they come up every single week. They never let us down. They're always there. It's always free and they're always talking about my favorite bands. Hard rock, classic metal, we got you covered. So if you're out there on Facebook or you're on Twitter, you want to share it or retweet it, then you become a Geek of the Week. That's right. And these are the people that share it on Facebook and retweet it on Twitter. Last week's Radio Sucks Radio Show, Volume 23, that one went over well. Yeah, man, and a lot of fun. It was it was nice to kind of relax for a minute before we dove into what we're getting into yeah, today. Yeah, we got a lot on our plate today. So Geeks of the Week this week are Matt Ashcraft, Rosita Mark, Mike Stewart, Joe Royland, Sit and Spin with Joe, Brant Cattell, Gregory Muse, Cobras and Fire Podcast, Cal yeah. Hens, Matt Bradshaw, Denise Garcia-Spear, Kevin Williams, Michael Bartley, Rockin' Ron Runyon, Ian Wadley, the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast, Brian Knapp, Joe Lascon, Billy Hardaway, Kenneth McDonald, Joey Vancieri, Anthony Poole, Wayne Cross, Spencer Wetmore, Stacey Sullivan, Trevor McDougal, David Alpazar, Mark Taylor, Greg McGlone, Unknown Elements, Obscure Rock and Metal, Billy Hardcore, Adam Cox, Ernesto Aguiar, Mikhail Burrell, Daniel Chappett, Colin Francis, Ken Chase, The Mooger Fugger, Jay Shablewski, L.A. Knights, Nonaka, 
Thunder right. and Lightning, Nick Rose right. and Derek Novak. Not just Thunder, but Thunder and Lightning. Lightning. Both of them. That's right. That's awesome. We might be dealing with some of that while we record tonight. <laughs> yeah. we got some tornado warnings going on, but we're here in the studio yeah. and we have faith that the rock and roll will protect us tonight. <laughs> yeah. It's it's Christmas time in Tennessee and it's 70 degrees outside yeah, it's and crazy. a tornado is coming through. Yeah, it's Wow. Yeah. That's Tennessee for you. It totally is. So if we're going to talk about 1980, there's only one place to start. It's the place we always start when we do our year in reviews. It's a nice little retrospective that Chris always gives us the information on. So lay it on us. Yeah. And it's typically, it's usually we go back a quite a few years. So it's numbers that kind of make you go, wow, yeah. I wish it was, I wish I could go back to that time. So right. like such as average cost of a new house in 1980, is $68,700. See, not bad at all. You know, 1980, sweet. The average monthly, monthly rent was $300. You can't rent nothing for 300. You can't rent a cardboard box for 300 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Not usually. The cost of a gallon of gas is $1.19. Can you imagine filling up the tank and having it last a month yeah okay no <laughs> and the all important most important stat of 1980 the price of bacon was a dollar 45 per pound i'm ready to go back i'm ready Me to go too. back right now after but hearing that it wasn't all roses let's look at some what i call what the fuck prices okay. from 1980 a Madnavox vhs recorder was 699 dollars that's funny and you, what, you had to send away to Japan to get it? I don't know. And then a, a, a VHS home movie camera was $1,599. That's crazy because it was new cutting edge technology yeah. at that oh. time. So only, you know, you had to pay big bucks to have that. Not everybody had a VCR no. when they first came out. It wasn't until they were made in a better way a few years later mm-hmm. that, you know, where everybody could get one. I, I don't remember getting our first VCR till maybe 84. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking first too. First time I went to a video store too. And looked because, around, I was like, wow, look at all these boxes with these movies I've seen. Yeah, I want to see. That you know? I've always wanted to see, that other yeah. people have talked about. And to me, it was, I remember, I'll never forget going into the VHS store for the first time, the rental place, mm-hmm. and going in and looking around and being blown away. And I'm looking, looking, looking. And here's a movie we're going to be talking about here in the next two weeks. There it is. Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, we will get to I that never, in the show today. I'd never seen it until my parents were able to go to a store, rent a VCR, and some VHS tapes to take home for the weekend. That's similar to my memory of the back corner of a video store. It was always my favorite part of the video <laughs> back store. Back sneaking behind the yeah. curtain? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boobies! Yeah, I, yeah. Be- I believe that to be uh. true. <laughs> all right, so let's get into it. We, uh, we're going to cover January through May today. Yeah, and it's all, you know, as it always is, through the eyes of rock and roll. So starting out things out in the beginning of the year on January 16th, Paul McCartney's <laughs> busted with a half pound of weed in Tokyo, Japan. He was turning Japanese. <laughs> yeah, he was. He's detained in the country for about a week, and then he's kicked out, deported, forcing the cancellation of the rest of the tour and ultimately that's the end of the band wings too yeah. because they never really reunite mm-hmm. after that yeah I, well, I think they were just looking for an excuse to break up anyway I mean, <laughs> they kind of run their course by that time and i mean that's a good but, one and think about how differently marijuana was viewed back in 1980 well, with yeah. the war on drugs and well i suppose that's not quite happened yet but it's coming it's close to just say yeah, no time right but, but i mean what the fuck is paul mccartney thinking he had to have known that was a bad idea they were waiting for him as soon as he I got mean, off the plane a half pound dope or what do you th- get at least have a roadie carry it for you and let him take the fall for I it i suppose he just figured you know what do you do you know you're going to japan nobody in japan's got any weed where am i gonna get it from oh, i'm sure they got weed in japan. 
it's probably really damn good too. Yeah, I would think so. But yeah, yeah. Paul, Paul McCartney, half pound of dope. Should have held off for the uh, Japanese reefer. Yeah. So um, I guess I'll do the first pick of the show. We're in January, and uh, first pick of the show is uh, by a band named Girl. Right on. We t- we were just talking about this not yeah. too long ago. They were um they were, I think they were a British band, and uh, this their debut album came out in January. It was released on Jet Records. The band included some uh, notable names that you've heard of. Phil Collin on guitar, who yeah. wound up with Def Leppard. And then the singer was Phil Lewis, who, of course, fronted L.A. Guns. Oh, wow. I, that I didn't know. Um, notably from this album, usually the only song people really ever bring up from this album is their cover of Do You Love Me by Kiss. They're a U.K. band. And remember, Kiss played Wembley Stadium in 1980. And Iron Maiden was the opening band. Right. But I think it was like on the off night. Like one of those nights, Girl was the opening band. Yeah. Who were we talking about with that recently? Who wrote the, the um, book? Chris Happening or... Yeah, it was Chris. Was Chris? Yeah, it was Chris Epting on the... Oh, yeah, yeah, because yeah, Phil was in that band. He wrote Phil... He helped with Phil with his memoir. Right, and how it came full circle because yeah. the girl had opened up for Kiss back right. in the day, and then now, recently, in recent times, Def Leppard is open for him, so it came full circle for him. And they performed Do You Love Me when they opened for Kiss. I think it, yeah. I heard that it pissed the band off or something like that. Oh. Yeah. But I wanted to play something else from, from that album, and... Uh, this song, I think Aaron knows because this song actually wound up on L.A. Gunn's first album, but this is the original version. This is Girl with Hollywood Tees. about any of that that's very cool yeah that's a la gun song like years before la guns even existed and the, what's the album called i think it's just called girl huh. no actually it's called sheer greed sheer greed i'll have to look that up i'd like to hear some more of that yeah it's good stuff all right well that brings us into february you know and we always kind of bring up this stuff because it's it's funny it well it ain't funny it's <laughs> it's scary to look back on some of the crazy things that were going on in our year in reviews and 1980 was the year that john wayne gacy yes the first juggalo that <laughs> was uh convicted of uh and found guilty in 33 murders and i think everybody knows how effed up that story was uh so then they also had one called the sacramento vampire and this guy was a murderous necrophiliac cannibal, and he was captured and convicted of six counts of murder. So I never heard of that one. No, it's crazy, man. That's a crazy story, too. I was just looking up 1980 news, you know, and then that's the kind of he didn't, shitty uh, stuff that comes up. He picked the wrong evil uh, identity. You know, I guess clowns were bigger in 1980, so in case, yeah. case he got more press. Yeah, he did. So <laughs> the first juggalo is a better killer, I guess, than the Sacramento, Sacramento vampire, because who have you heard of? <laughs> strange all right well i guess no better place to get the hell out of that stuff and get back to the (laughs) rock and roll and you know heart was a band that enjoyed like two great waves of success you know what i mean initially as the hard rock and band led by the wilson sisters during the 70s and then again as like the radio friendly unit shifter of the 80s that Mm -hmm. they were of course 
that's part of what makes the Baby Lestrange album so interesting. Because what else is Lestrange is when an album that peaks at number five on the U.S. album charts and stays there for 22 weeks is considered a letdown. Yeah. But then again, it's tough to follow up the mega success of Dog and Butterfly and Little Queen. Mm-hmm. You know, huge albums. So this may be the first hard album to kick off the decade of the 80s, but it definitely fits in better with the band's earlier 70s work. Final Heart CD in my heart in my collection. Oh really? Oh yeah. You know, either the rest of the their catalog. You know, it's got some songs I like, but never any complete rocking albums. You know, I might go one more if I could find actually find it. 1982's Private Audition on CD, but yeah, that's probably good, good luck with that. Baby Lestrange is a good record, but and good. There, there's some real dark material on that too. Yeah, 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 because at that time they're they're huge stars and they're seeing the the rise and the fall and all that and the change is coming and it's still a great album. This one, like I said, it fits definitely with the earlier original style of heart. That's the yeah. stuff I like. Yeah, I, I hear. I like both, but yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, then February seventh, Pink Floyd kicks off the infamous tour for the Wall. At the L.A. Memorial Sports Arena. Yeah, and that was a huge deal. That was, man, that was, they set a standard for concerts. You know, you look at Kiss before that with the explosions and all that. But think about the uh, the wall tour with the building of the wall mm-hmm. and the, the different things going on. Just a, I don't know, just an entire experience. Yeah. I just, that's one of those where if I could go back in time and see the original, you know, touring version of that, it would have been really awesome. Yeah, that'd be a good one for the time machine. Envious of anybody that got to see that in 1980. Grew to appreciate Pink Floyd more after we did that episode on. Yeah, the heavier side of Floyd. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. If you doubt the power of Pink Floyd, go back and check out that episode. It's good stuff. Okay, so um, one of my favorite bands released what is my favorite record by that band on February 4th of 1980. The Ramones put out Into the Century, which I know a lot of diehard Ramones fans are now like cackling or throwing up after me just saying it's my favorite album by them. Because this is one, this is, I guess, what you, some people would call the sellout record that the Ramones did. Yeah. Like they get uh, Phil Spector on board to produce the album. And, you know, Phil Spector is going to bring the Phil Spector sound, which is like, um, you know, 60s era, you know, wall of sound and girl group type stuff, like poppy stuff. Sure. A lot yeah, of melodies. Of 
and they brought it on. But I thought it was a stroke of genius. I love the early Ramon stuff too. I love it, the chainsaw guitar stuff. I, you know, I don't take anything away from that. But at this point, they're a band for a long time, and they're finally trying to make some scratch. Yeah, you they're know? like really trying to hit the charts. This was them really going for it. Like everybody respects them, but that ain't paying the bills. Right. So they bring in Phil Spector, and they go to his studio, and <clears throat> the whole. If you don't know the story, I'll just the condensed version is Phil Spector. While isn't he's a genius producer is insane and uh, which is probably mm-hmm. why he's rotting away in a prison cell for killing somebody right now that's true but uh he would carry guns into the studio he would threaten people threaten to shoot people all the time um i said play it correctly right. oh god the story about <laughs> the story about him trying to get johnny to hit that one right open chord at the beginning of rock and roll high school is insane he made him yeah. record that one open chord like 300 times and would like rant and stomp around the studio and curse and get just go nuts over it and then the rest of the band hated him because Phil was obsessed with Joey Ramone and like was everything was Joey. He wanted yeah. to make Joey Ramone into a star. And the rest of the band was like, well, fuck you. You know, you know, they, they, he treated the band like they were side musicians. The rest of our last names are Ramone, too. You yeah. Know? Yeah, dude. But um, the, the album came out, has a lot of great songs on it. And I, I think it's uh, it's highly underrated because it should have been a hit. But um, this is a song that has still some of that early Ramone spirit, but also has the Phil Spector production. And this is This Ain't Havana. Yes. Do you like bananas? I love bananas. Okay, good. That answers that question. <laughs> That's cool, man. Yeah, if you like the Ramones, you definitely owe it to yourself to check that one out. Yeah, it's, I love that album. Good stuff from 1980. Mm-hmm. Bad stuff from 1980? Well, it came to us on February 13th, and it's a day that'll... Yeah, it just hurts rock and roll forever, and that's the day we lost the immortal should have been wish he would have been bon scott yeah but what a bummer you know the guy hard partying you know yeah, that love the love that acdc the early stuff so much you know and and these guys were really man they were almost there they were on literally on the cusp in 1980 you know had bon scott lived i gotta believe that back in black would have been just as big of an album if not bigger you know so so close and it just slipped away and it's not the way you want to go. Just fa- no. basically froze to death in a car. I mean, terrible. Yeah, it's a it's a scary situation. But the guy, you know, left a lasting legacy of music yeah, for sure all did. of us, which yeah. we've, we've celebrated numerous times on the show. Oh, and we'll continue to for as long as we do the show. Yeah. We'll always pay homage to Bon Scott and his contributions to rock and roll history and ACDC and the amazing music they all created together. Sad times. Nineteen eighties a year of sad deaths, especially yeah. in rock and roll. Yeah, you got to cover it. I mean, it's it's a big part of the part of the year. And then, but then some good stuff happened for America on February twenty second. Yeah, they had the Olympic uh, ice hockey game, the Miracle on Ice. It took place in nineteen eighty at Lake Placid, the Winter Olympics, and uh, it was called the Miracle on Ice because the U.S. team was made up of mostly college-level players, and they were playing against the Soviet Union, who was considered one of the greatest ice hockey teams ever Mm -hmm. assembled. And so it came down to it, and the U.S. beat them by one goal. Yep, 4-3. to 
and they were a bunch of just scrub college guys, but they had heart yeah. uh, and a really good coach from what I read up on it. And they've made movies out of it, out of the story of it and all that, man. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. And everybody always remember that for the call, you know, do you believe in miracles? miracles. Yeah. And then, then later on, call it the miracle on ice. You know, it's pretty cool. Then the U.S. goes on, they beat Finland and they, they bring home the gold. And that was the only the second time the U.S. had ever brought home the gold in hockey. It was a big deal. Real yeah. big deal. I still remember my parents telling me about, you know, watching and I was too young to remember it. But yeah, me too. I had my parents always used to talk about that. You know what I like to talk about? Mm. Van Halen. Heck yeah. And if it's 1980, I, I can't think of anybody better to talk about. You know, the mighty Van Halen, they just wrapped up their world vacation tour and it's almost immediately, bam, back into the studio to work on their third studio album, Women and Children First. It marks a slightly darker sound and lyrics than the first two albums. I think you'd agree with that. Uh, the story is that the rift between Ed and Dave really started to open up around this time. Obviously, musically, Ed wanted to make more serious tones and sounds and, you know, get away from the good time party music, but that's what Dave is good at. It wasn't all Eddie's control freaking, though, because Dave was known to be a limelight hog at the time. Even <laughs> the photo session for the album cover was a huge ordeal. You ever heard the story about that? Yeah. Oh, man, what a mess. <laughs> Maybe it's the undercurrent of conflict that breeds creation for one of the greatest albums of the year. As soon as it's released, Van Halen embarks on the massive Party Till You Die World Invasion Tour. And it's just another fine example of what the classic lineup of Van Halen, you know, what makes them so stellar. Yeah, if you saw them at that period, I'm incredibly jealous of you. Yeah, man. That music is awesome. That album is killer. Ah, You know what? Album of the year, 1980. That's what I'm saying. And, uh... Good friend of the show, Robert Fleischman, was an opening act on that tour. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's right. Yeah, yeah, cool. Must have been hell of a show. Oh, man, I can imagine. All right, so, uh, you know, Van Halen, known as, you know, gods of hard rock music, and uh, they're happy to admit that. Let's go to a band that is not happy to admit that they're a hard rock band for some weird reason. I'm talking about Def Leppard. What do they think they are? They def, Death metal? Well, no, they like to... We're, they, they, we're death metal. No, they want to put themselves up as like a pop band. Like, yeah. And, and maybe they have been since Hysteria. For I guess sure. you could say they have. But early on, man, they were a hard rock band or, mm-hmm. you know, new wave of British heavy metal band. They were in that league. We just talked about this on Versus uh, for the VIPs will know about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still stand by my guns with this. Def Leppard, you know, when uh, when Stevie Clark died, he took the, the balls of the leopard with him. 
Yeah. But back in 1980, Steve Clark was alive and well. He wasn't was, he? and Pete Willis was in the band at the time too. This was pre Phil Collins. Yeah, because he was in Girl. Yep. And uh, Pete Willis was the other guitar player. Um, they put out On Through the Night, which was their debut album, released on Vertigo Mercury Records on March 14th, and uh, produced by Tom Allum, who did tons of stuff with Judas Priest and other bands. He was kind of the in-demand producer for the new wave of British heavy metal at the time. And Def Leppard was one of those bands, whether they want to admit it now or not, that was their original sound. And this song is a great testament to that early sound of Def Leppard. This is Def Leppard with Wasted. song by a band that now plays for housewives yeah it's true you know really not gonna get that Def Leppard interview but (laughs) (laughs) sorry we'll hold off hold out for uh Steve speaking of our best of 2015 upcoming episode don't expect to hear any Def Leppard no I'm not biggest disappointments I've heard yeah Well, speaking of big changes, there's fewer better examples of a band having one foot in the 70s and the other planet in the 80s than Scorpion's seventh album, Animal Magnetism. It shows a band that's tied to its blues rock roots, but you also see the future being bright for arena rockers and ballads. Mm-hmm. They they see it. It's coming. You know, after losing uh, Uli John Roth as lead guitarist in 1978 and replacing him with the young hotshot named Matthias Jabs, on his first album he had got to play, he had to share the duties with uh, one and only Michael Schenker. Mm-hmm. You know, that's got to be tough to be the new guitarist, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, yeah, this amazing dude's going to come in and lay some of this down. But when it comes to animal magnetism, totally the jabs show yeah oh yeah this is an awesome album you gotta love the just slightly suggestively lewd album cover it's, oh yeah it's subliminal enough to get past the american morality squad in 1980 <laughs> this one it's a truly transitional album that i think should satisfy every scorpions fan
Used to good friends. Tonight is kind of special. How are you holding up? I'm all right. Want to go for 10 miles? If you make it, I'll buy you a beer. If we make it, I'll buy you a loan, brow. When you want the taste of a truly great American beer, tonight, let it be low and brow. Tonight, let it be low and brow. Pontiac introduces the first turbocharged V8 of the 80s. Available only in Trans Am or Formula Firebird. With power swelling out of the hood and telling the world where it's at. A 4.9 liter message of appreciation to true believers. The way Pontiac knows how to deliver it. The world's only turbocharged V8 available in a production car. Now that's more Pontiac excitement for the great ones. You are listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast as we travel back in time to the year that was 1980. And what a year it was. Let's take a break from the rock and roll just, just for a moment. Just, just for a second. We'll get back to it, we promise. And let's talk about some of the big movies of 1980. You this wanna... was a golden age because Aaron and I were little kids when, the, when this happened. So yeah, yeah, a I, lot of these are really important to us. I remember most of these movies. I think all I right? all of them, yeah. So at number 10... Obviously, I think everybody knows this one, The Blues Brothers. I can't believe that was number 10. Yeah. I thought it would have ranked higher than that. Well, I mean, it's got a lot of competition in 1980 because a lot of movies that I look at this list, I consider to be classics. And that, But Blues Brothers has both kinds of music in it, country and western. <laughs> <laughs> well, it man. sure does. It sure does. <laughs> uh, coming in at number nine in 1980, The Blue Lagoon. Mm-hmm. Brooke remember Shields. that one? Brooke Shields, underage Brooke Shields. I remember people talking <laughs> about, you know, that was how that was weird back then. Nobody gets between her and her Jordash. Mm, no, I guess not. Especially that creepy perv around the corner. At number eight, you got Smokey and the Bandit 2. Mm-hmm. Number seven, Coal Miner's Daughter. Mm-hmm. That's a famous film everybody talks, away. still talks about. Uh, number six, Private Benjamin. Remember, remember this that? one? Yeah, Goldie Hawn was in that. I remember that from being a little kid when VHS tapes came out. We mm-hmm. could finally to get them uh number five any which way you can i don't know a whole lot about that one right turn clyde that's uh clint eastwood and the monkey oh so that's part that's like that's the part two one. of yeah. any which way but loose every which way but loose and any which way you can oh okay nice yeah i gotta get those on a, i gotta break out the old vhs they were player the, uh, the clint eastwood white trash collection <laughs> i gotta get a vcr Start going to yard sales and looking for these movies from 1980. Movies like Number Four, Airplane. My brother, that's and a I classic. Were obsessed with that movie. Oh god, that's a great movie. I laugh so hard every, even today. It's a great you know, movie. and all the sequels that it spawned, and uh-huh. it just it, the classic. It all started in 1980. All right, at number three, Stir Crazy. Yep. That's an amazingly funny movie. Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. Hell yeah! What a team those guys oh, are, great. man. You you just. There's a lot of great comedy duos but throughout history, but man, that's mm-hmm. the shit right there. At number two, you got 9 to 5. Mm-hmm. That was a Dolly Parton movie, right? Dolly Parton and Lily Tomlin, and then Dabney Coleman played the boss, who was yeah. a complete scumbag. And, that's yeah, right. That's a funny movie. Man, see this... Right in the middle of the women's lib movement. Right, yeah. So this <laughs> list is awesome. It makes me want to go back and watch these movies mm-hmm. like today, because they're all such amazing movies. And of course, if you're talking about the year 1980, the number one movie 
Hey, we got something in common. Herbie with goes bananas. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, no, I'm just kidding. we got a lot in common with uh, with 1980 this week? this week. Yeah, it's 2015, and with 1980, we share the number one movie is Star Wars. But in 1980, it was The Empire, Empire Strikes, Strikes Back. Ah, yeah. oh, man, for the longest time, and maybe still. I think that's my favorite of the Star Wars movies. It's many people's favorite. Yeah, it's just so awesome. The the ice battles, and then, yeah. you know, you just can't beat that. And then Luke finds out he's oh, his father. Why? Don't spoil it, man. Oh, shit. Somebody, one of our listeners may have been in a coma for like the last 40 years. And I know, it's such a knew. big thing to make sure you don't spoil the Star Wars. So I'm just going to go ahead and say Empire Strikes Back, thumbs up. Yeah. Good, good. movie. Go see it. Highly recommended. And then other other movies that year? Yeah, like the Caddyshack, Caddyshack. That didn't make the top ten, but that's a classic. Mm. Uh, the Elephant Man, you ever seen that? Yeah. That's a crazy story based on a true story. Movie. Uh, the Shining. Oh. Everybody knows that one. Here's Johnny. That's a good one. The very first Friday the 13th. Yep. Yeah, that's a classic. You ever see Alligator? I, if I have, I've forgotten all it's about It's like Alligator it. in the sewer. They, it's a little baby alligator. They flush it down the toilet, and then later on, it's this gargantuan, mutated, you know, large, huge alligator. I'll have to check that killing out. Killing people. I'm sure it's probably not as good as I remember it being as far as, you know, effects go and stuff, but yeah, I remember being terrified of huh. it when I was a kid. I'll have to check that one out. Uh, Raging Bull came out in 1980. That's a great movie. Yeah, Flash Gordon, mm-hmm. Popeye. Queen did the soundtrack for Flash. That's Gordon. right. Yeah, probably hear some Queen in this one, huh? Uh, maybe. All right, All right. Stick, <laughs> stick around for that. <laughs> Popeye with Robin Williams, yeah. the live action. That was I remember that as a kid. I went to the theater like, to see it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did too. Nice. Yeah. See, that's why we're bros on the. It was, it was you podcast. and me, and maybe three other people. That <laughs> and our parents. It. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And uh, Superman two, mm-hmm. which was. I love cool. all these movies. Yeah, these are all great movies. So there you go. That's your collection to go back and go to Netflix or now whatever you got going on nowadays. Yeah, so dust off the VCR, pull out the VHS, and enjoy those movies because they're all awesome. And then, uh, so we're in we're in March, and uh, Journey on March 23rd puts out Departure, and uh, this is when they were really getting their legs with Steve Perry singing for them. This is their sixth studio album released on Columbia Records, the last Journey album for original member Greg Raleigh. He had become tired of life on the road and decided to leave the band after assisting in the selection of his replacement, Jonathan Kane, who was from the band The Babies. But this album uh, is, it, it's, is what it, the title says. It's a departure, and this was them kind of commercializing their sound. And this is a track called Where Were You? didn't have time to edit the clip together all right doing the research for this this episode 
a, a lot of different types of albums came out this year. And another album, which we'll talk about later, is British Steel by Judas Priest. Yeah, I think that'll probably come back up. It will. And listen to the intro to that song, Where Were You? And uh-huh. then listen to You Don't Have to Be Old to Be Wise by Judas Priest. Hmm. And you'll get a good laugh. Huh. Well, Two very go. different bands. There's a fun little game you can play. Yeah. In 1980, Aerosmith had pretty much imploded after the infamous World Series of Rock show at the Cleveland Stadium in July of 1979. That's the famous one where Joe Perry walks out on the band or was fired by Steven, depending on who you ask. Perry's departure would leave the album Night in the Ruts unfinished. Love that album. Yeah, it's a good one, but it would be completed with some replacement players. Perry even took some of the songs with him, and with a chip on his shoulder to prove to his former band that he could do it without them, he quickly formed the Joe Perry Project and released the 1980 album Let the Music Do the Talking. It's kind of funny that Joe started putting this band together before Aerosmith, even before he even brought up thinking about leaving Aerosmith. It was just going to be a side project. It was, I don't know, you probably knew. He knew. You know, it's like, okay. Oh, God, once Reed I, walk this way. Once, yeah, once I get it together <laughs> enough, then I'll just let him know Talk I quit. One venom, night. man. Jeez. Yeah, that was a crazy situation. You know, once it was official he was that he was out of the band, he was immediately re-signed by Aerosmith's label CBS in an attempt to kind of keep the family together in hopes that one day maybe they'd reunite. Mm-hmm. Maybe, possibly. Um, with Ronnie Stewart on drums, David Hull on bass, Perry recruited Ralph Mormon to share lead vocal duties with him in the band. Mormon would only last until June before he's fired and replaced by New York City vocalist Joey Mala. Look back at the Share Bach episode mm-hmm. here's the hear about Joey Mala. And uh, eventually he's replaced by Charlie Farron. And uh, the Joe Perry Project would release two more albums before Joe would eventually end up reuniting with Aerosmith in 1984. So which one of the singers is singing on that track? On that is track, that Ralph that's Ralph Mormon. Boy, some great pipes on that. Yeah, yeah, he's a good singer. You know, Aerosmith then, wound up recording that later. That's right, and that's a really good version of that, on, too. I like Done With Mirrors? I yeah, yeah, I really like the Aerosmith. Yeah, because in 84, that Although I think out. I like Ralph Mormon's vocals better than Steven's on that song. Yeah. I really do. I love Steven, Steven Tyler, but man, I do really like the vocals on that they're both pretty rocking and yeah. either right and, it you know, does and, sound like an aerosmith tune and you know joe perry sings a lot of the songs on the joe perry mm-hmm. project stuff and it's of course obviously the guitar works all oh, killer yeah. on there so Great yeah player. definitely worth checking out all right so as i mentioned a minute ago look at my list uh, judas priest came around a lot sooner than i thought um, <laughs> i knew they'd be back yeah, I, know I told are. you they'd they're come back. back up so yeah british steel comes
comes out on April 14th. It's their sixth studio album released on Columbia Records, produced by Tom Allen. I feel like I'm repeating myself. Recorded at Tittenhurst Park, which is also known as the home of Ringo Starr. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's a cool story. And they did, yeah, because there was like no uh, sound effects back in those days. So like you had to create your own. So for yeah. metal gods, they had like trays of cutlery being, you know, slammed mm. around and stuff. Spoons and forks and yeah. shit. <laughs> so yeah, who knew that silverware could be so hard rock, you know? Well, but, they uh, are metal. They are metal. <laughs> So, um, but this tune that I wanted to play, uh, this closes out the record and it's a tune called Steeler. British Steel. You gotta love it. Yeah, that's one of their best albums for sure. Well, if you're gonna talk about the new wave of British heavy metal, you're talking about Judas Priest. I mean, 1980s, the year when all that's really coming together. And we've had some really great new wave of British heavy metal discussions here on the Decibel Geek podcast in the past. But, you know, if you're gonna talk about all that, of course, you gotta talk about Iron Maiden because... Even though it may have only took 13 days to create it, the lasting effects of Iron Maiden's debut album would resonate for generations. In 1980, the new wave of British heavy metal is just starting to bubble over. And prior to 80, Judas Priest, UFO, Thin Lizzy, and Motorhead were kind of leading the way. But by the time 80 hits, the European underground metal bands are starting to rise to the forefront. The recording of the album came under less than favorable favorable conditions, and the rough production doubled with Paul Diano's unique vocal style gives the Iron Maiden debut a distinctive punk metal sound. Just before the album's release, Maiden has opened up for Priest during the British Steel Tour. We just talked about that. What a tour. And after its release, they hit the road with Kiss for the European leg of their Unmasked Tour. That's right. By 1981, they would hire Adrian Smith, release their follow-up killers, fire Paul Diano, and hire Bruce Dickinson as replacement, and the rest is heavy metal history. Can you imagine seeing Priest and Maiden on, a, on the same bill? In 1980? Jeez. Or 79, yeah. or whatever that was? 
Can you imagine seeing Iron Maiden opening up for Kiss in 1980? What a clash. And with Kiss's repertoire at the time. Didn't like didn't they learn their lesson? Didn't Kiss learn their lesson Priest? from just what that just happened <laughs> yeah. to you with Priest? Well, let's try it with this yeah, other band. Let's have this band come and blow us right off the stage. <laughs> That's a bad idea, Curly. Yeah, I know. All right, so... um. My next pick, uh, anything related to Thin Lizzy, I'm gonna jump on. So I'm I know sure it. Aaron knew I was gonna pick. Something well, obviously, like yeah, man. If yeah. there's, if we ever do anything that involves anything that's got Thin Lizzy involved, I'll just leave that to the experts. Well, because they're not gonna get played on the fucking radio, so we have to do it here. Right. Um, Phil Lynott, if you don't know, was from Thin Lizzy, um, put out his sol- first solo album in oh, If you've been listening to the Decibel Geek podcast for any amount of time, yeah. you spent any amount of time with Chris. You know that. We have, a, <laughs> we have a couple of guitar player friends we have to get over here to discuss Thin Lizzy one of these days. Yeah, for sure. Um, but he put out his solo album, Solo and Soho, on April 18th. That's my brother's birthday. Oh, right on. And uh, current and former Thin Lizzy members guest on the album, including Scott Gorham, Brian Downey, Snowy White, and Gary Moore. And Brian Robertson also contributed to the writing of Girls. Uh, the song Tattoo, Giving It All Up For Your Love was eventually covered by Huey Lewis in the news on their album, Picture This. And Huey uh, actually appears on harmonica on some of this album, too. And he did on some oh, of Thin wow. Lizzy stuff, too. That's cool. Yeah. and uh, but I never knew he was cool. And now i now I got to look <laughs> at things differently. This song from the album kicks off the album. was co-written between Phil and another name you've probably heard, Jimmy Bain. And it's called yeah. Dear Miss Lonely Hearts. Dear Miss Lonely Hearts, I had to write this letter tell you how I came to meet her. She was sweet, but I needed her sister. That's how I made my mistake, and I can't forget her. I felt depressed. Till a friend of mine suggested that I write you this address. So unless you can find a cure for my loneliness, it will persist, it will persist. Don't you know It's the original taste that I love so And the taste is making peppers everywhere I go There's guitar, pepper, star, pepper Next to a strike, here's what I like Wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? Small peppers, small peppers, small peppers We're all peppers Wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? Be a pepper, drink Dr. Pepper Woo-hoo! Here's a camera that's simple to use You just aim and shoot But of course you have to go get your pictures developed now, this is the simplest camera in the world, Polaroid's One Step. You just press the button, and the motor hands you a beautiful colored picture you see in minutes. Now, you can put this camera in your pocket, but with the One Step, you can put the picture in your pocket. And a picture in here is worth two in here. You're listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast. This is 1980, and what a great year it is so far. Hey, man, we're in April, so I got to just say... 
for once, my wife's actually going to listen to this show because she was born in 1980 in April. So happy birthday, baby, and Merry Christmas. <laughs> I'm going to say Merry Christmas to all our friends and family out there listening to the show every single week. The holidays right now, they're in full force. Everybody's out there shopping. I mean, right now, pretty much, it's, it's about Christmas Day. Everybody's got their shopping done. But you know what? There's still good stuff out there. You know, you don't have to forget about yourself. You might be getting some Christmas money. You got to find a good place to spend it. They want you to buy yourself something nice when they give you money. You want to get yourself something nice? You go to HK Collectibles, Inc. He's got everything you need. He's got you covered. Right now, he's got cool stuff like tickets from Black Sabbath in Detroit in 1982, Accept and Helix in Charlotte in 1985. How cool. And ZZ Top, Sammy Hagar in 1983. Hey, yeah, yeah. It's all available, all that and a whole lot more. Head on over to decibelgeek.com. Click on the HK Collectibles Inc. banner and do your shopping. Of course, if you're doing any Amazon shopping, you want to go to decibelgeek.com. Click on our banner right there. It's going to take you through. You know how it's done. Everything you buy, it doesn't cost you a penny more. It helps out the show. Enough said. You know Mm -hmm. how it goes. Yep, and uh, we get a cool list every month or every week of what you guys have bought. And uh, let's just read some of the notable ones because some people have definitely done some Christmas shopping through our link. Uh, in apparel, a women's long sleeve duster cardigan was bought. That's nice. nice. Uh, DVDs, <laughs> Axis Triple X Live in San Francisco, Blu ray was purchased. Uh, mm. in, in Surgeon on Blu ray and digital HD. Yeah. And pronounced Leonard Skinner and Second Helping Live on Blu ray. Oh, right purchased. on. I bet you that's cool as hell. I didn't even know that was out. No, me neither. That's, oh. I want to see that. I do too. Um, in the home section, a Bird Rock home bamboo laptop bed tray was purchased. Bird Rock. Nice. Uh, jewelry, a box dragon jewelry, stainless steel, men's ring, Gene Simmons wizard skull was bought. Nice. Awesome. Somebody's getting a really good Christmas That's present. Cool. I'd like to have one of those. Yeah. Maybe I am getting one of those. Uh, in music, L- Little, Bever- Little River Band cuts like a diamond was purchased. Okay. Uh, Striper Fallen. Right on. Wasp Golgotha. That might have been me. Might have been you. And Eric Clapton's Sessions for Robert Johnson was bought heck yeah good stuff and then uh and the little little river band that's right <laughs> i'm just teasing There's they're good. good stuff there i know outdoors uh coleman packaway kitchen was purchased so it's going camping yeah uh toys a bunch of stuff including teenage mutant ninja turtle sunglasses and tower puzzle was bought but yeah, so thank you guys for shopping through our Amazon yes. link, and we, we really appreciate it and thank you so much and for checking out decibelgeek.com a lot of cool stuff there for you to see Talking about toys and stuff, you know, it's Christmas time, everybody's getting toys. Let's talk about the toys that are super popular in 1980, and here's a list of some of those. Uh, The Play-Doh Fuzzy Pumper Monsters, do you remember that? No, but that's... I do. My twisted mind really makes that into something It's funny, (laughs) Fuzzy Pumper. Fuzzy Pumper Monster for you right here. (laughs) Those are the things, they were plastic and they came with Play-Doh, and you put them in the barber chair and you do the crank, and then the Play-Doh would push all through through little holes in their head, and then you got the plastic scissors to give them haircuts and stuff. Yeah. I haven't seen that since 1980. I know. I think I had one in 1980, to be honest <laughs> wow. with you. Uh, other good toys, uh, the talking Mr. Bill keychain. Oh, no. Mr. Bill. <laughs> oh, man. I love that stuff. When I was a little kid, I remember like my parents would la- watch Saturday Night Live and yep. laugh their asses off. I didn't care nothing about it Mr. Bill's. until Mr. Bill came on. Then it was like... Phew to the TV. Yep. Loved it. <laughs> 1980 brings us Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. Mm-hmm. Women's lip movement. That's when they, that was the year they got married. <laughs> yeah. You know, happy anniversary. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Night Glow Daredevil Jump Slot Car Track was a big deal that year. Slot car racing. That's good stuff. This was one that glowed in the dark. You set it up at night. Yeah. 
I love that I when I was a little a, kid. I had one of those electric race car tracks that would glow in the dark. Yeah. And, uh, it was great until my dog pissed on it and ruined it. Oh, but, man. Yeah. That'll heard, do you it. You just heard that Yeah, we had one set up in the basement. And it's like, you think about it now, it's just kind of dumb because all you can do is hold down the button. Right. And it just goes. There ain't no real racing no to it. Yeah, yeah, there's no steering, no <laughs> skill. But when you're a kid like that, it's like, whoa, I'm doing this, making yep. it go. I can make it stop. I can make it go. Yes. <laughs> I can do both. In 1980, another popular toy was Trixie the Playful Puppy. Any remembrance of that? It was no. a little dog. It had a string on it. You could like tug it once and it would walk. And you tug it twice and it would stop. Really? It's cutting edge stuff back then. Wow. The Cosmic Combat handheld video game. One of the very first handheld video games i never had that one game boy before game boy i remember this but i never had it the big track it was a programmable uh, rc tank it wasn't like remote control where you could drive it but you could like set it you could program it to Mm -hmm. drive forward this many you know spaces Mm -hmm. turn left turn right go this way go that way and you could set it up and then let it go Mm -hmm. but you couldn't actually drive it you could just (laughs) kind of program it uh, 1980, a big popular thing was the baby Chrissy doll. That's the one where its hair grows. That was one of the big gifts for girls that year. Hmm. You pull the string and its hair gets longer, or you pull it out, and I don't know. I never had one. <laughs> I was going to say, you know a lot about baby Chrissy. Uh, XL2, or no, the 2XL robot with uh, trivia cartridges. You remember this? It sounds a little It talks, familiar. it tells riddles, plays music, sings. It's got a little, like, eight tracks you put in it. I, remember, I used to have it, well, it was later on, it was a Teddy Ruxpin. Again, cutting edge yeah. for 1980. This was, was, you put well, an Ozzy cassette Well, this in. was basically, it was like Teddy Ruxpin if you just ripped the fur all off and had the, like, right. robot skeleton underneath. <laughs> put a metal cassette in and make it play that. In 1980, obviously, Star Wars toys are all the shit, you know. that's that's That was all I wanted when I was mm-hmm. five years old. That's all I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I think in 1980 was probably the year... That underneath the Christmas tree, I found the Darth Vader carrying case. Yep. I Loaded the, with figures. I found the, the TV commercial for, for that, and it's Christian Slater as a child in the commercial for it. Wow. Yep. That's a, a trip. See, I have more fun doing the research for these yeah. than I do anything else. Totally. Yeah. Do you remember, now this ain't toys, this is more candy kind of a thing, mm. but do you remember Chew Bops? I have to because I'm a Kiss fan. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's a it was very sought after collectible. It was the first time I actually had one. I, I had one in my hands at one time, probably in 1980. as a little kid, yeah. and that was the first time I'd ever seen the Unmasked album. Yep, was on the Chewbox. It was and a... Chewbops were they they were little miniature albums, and mm-hmm. the album record itself inside the LP was bubblegum. Right. But you would look at the album covers and they had like Judas Priest uh-huh. and Pat Benatar and you name it, they had it. Yep. It was a pretty cool It was a thing. cool little concept. I liked it. Heck yeah, I like that too. Out of the bubblegum and into the metal. Oh yeah. By nineteen seventy nine, Black Sabbath were pretty much a shell of their former majestic selves. Once the heaviest and most intimidating band in the world, they're now widely considered has-beens, especially after being consistently shown up by their up-and-coming opening acts. See Van Halen in 1978. The endless supply of cocaine and alcohol didn't help their situation either. How out of control must Ozzy have been to make Tony Iommi, Geezer Butler, and Bill Ward say, You're too messed up to be around us anymore. Yeah. That's a lot of drugs. (laughs) And how strange is it that Ozzy's future wife, Sharon, is the one who suggests Black Sabbath carry on with former Rainbow vocalist Ronnie James Dio? Huh? 
The change in vocalist is a much-needed kick in the ass that this band needs to re-establish themselves in the world of rock and metal. and I think this is another case of they probably should have changed the name. Oh, man, I don't know. I, I, I like them better with Dio than I do with Ozzy. Well, that's what I'm saying. And if for no other reason, which I always love Ozzy better, but for no other reason that the band sounds completely different that's true. than classic Black Sabbath. You know, from some of the things that I've read, I think Iomi saw Ozzy at the time as like the ultimate amazing frontman. But in Dio, he found someone who could charismatically lead the band, but was also an amazing vocalist and also brought in a better understanding of music and was more of a contributor yeah. to the band, you know, leading to the creation of this amazing album and basically making a revitalized Black Sabbath kind of an unlikely part of the new wave of British heavy metal. Yeah, they reestablished themselves. This album and Mob Rules are just amazing. Incredible records. Oh, yeah. yeah. This one, see, this is where it's hard. I was like, mm, yeah, maybe this is album of the year in 1980. It's got to be a contender. For sure. I don't know. I mean, we have the Herbie movie as the movie of the year. So. <laughs> Decibel Geek movie of the year. That's why this isn't a movie podcast. Yeah, no kidding. Oh man, I would not want to have us. I would not want to listen to us wax about movies. No. Uh-uh. Uh, okay, so for my next one is this is definitely not going to be a contender for album of the year because it's so far out of left field for what the performer was up to. But I love the album. Alice Cooper puts out his 12th studio album called Flush the Fashion on April 28th, and it was produced by Roy Thomas Baker, which you know that signals a change in style right there. No Bob Ezrin around for this one. Right. And uh, the album delves into more of the new wave movement that was big at the time, and um, and it's Alice trying something different. And uh, you know, a lot of times, older artists that do this stuff will fall on their face. And some people might say he did with these albums, but I really have a soft spot for this early '80s period of music that he did because while there were some clunkers, there's some also great songs from this time. Yeah, for sure. There's some great songs on this album like "Clones" and "Grim Facts," and this one, this is Alice Cooper singing "Pain."
That's a great song. It's such a dark song, and it sums up Alice at that period. It totally does. I love that song. And, you know, like you say, you know, there are some weird, like, kind of artsy, weird songs on there. (laughs) But there are some really good gems. The songs that are good on those albums are really good. Yeah. And Flush the Fashion is a great example of that. Yeah, it's a different album for him, but uh, it's one that if you're an Alice Cooper fan, you should have it in your collection. Most definitely. If you're a fan of rock, you should have it in your collection. Mm -hmm. All right, that brings us up to May. And one of the biggest stories, obviously, in the U.S., of course, in May of 1980, is the eruption of Mount St. Helens in Washington State. Yep. Everybody, anybody that was alive that lived in the United States at the time remembers that story because it was a huge ordeal. This thing kills every living thing within a 320-mile radius within 10 minutes. That includes 57 people. Catastrophic. That's 320 miles within 10 minutes. Wiped out trees, animals, plants, everything gone. Apocalyptic. Yeah. I talked to my mom just the other night and I asked mm-hmm. her if she remembered that. And she said, yeah, even in Wisconsin, yeah. like the next days you could see it. It was like a, a smog in the sky from the ash, yeah. just from the wind of how massive that was that far away. Yeah. I remember my, like, you know, we would go to my grandparents like every week and I remember, I remember family talking about this when it happened. Like yeah. it was a big deal at the time. It was a scary thing. And I, yeah, I remember, I remember Kids that were in my class would would talk about it. It was a big deal. Yeah, huge, it was. Huge, it may have been the biggest news story of the year. Um, you know, there's a video on YouTube too that talks about Mount St. Helens and shows a lot of that footage and stuff of it's it going scary. on. It's it is some scary stuff. If you want to check that out, it's available. You know what else can black out the sun? Mm. Saxon. Hell yeah. Saxon's been plugging away at the uh, English Metal Underground since about 1976 and released their debut album in 1979. Like many of their other new wave of British heavy metal contemporaries, they're ready to burst into the new decade fast and loud, and they do just that with the release of their metal masterpiece, Wheels of Steel. light years ahead of anything they did on their debut and wheels of steel stands up against anything else that was gaining momentum coming out of the uk and you know even though they never really got a lot of love in the united states the way that maiden and priest did they were a damn good band and they even caught a lot of shit in the uk at the time because the band members were all pushing about 30 years old by the time this second album comes out Uh, for them elderly people yeah so they're like compared to to like iron maiden and raven and stuff like that these guys are old timers 30 somethings up there trying to be new wave they're still doing it that's right unrelenting saxon would release the uh, strong arm of the law later on in the year so they had two albums come out in 1980 and then they played with rainbow judas priest scorpions and riot at the first ever monsters of rock festival in 1980 that's another big milestone in rock and roll coming up this year and saxon would go on to release over 20 studio albums over the years including 2015's battering ram Mm -hmm. brand new stuff worth checking out for sure. Saxon. Cool. 
Well, another thing dear, near and dear to our heart from 1980, video games. Oh, man, this made me laugh when I saw it because I didn't know the story and I never would have thought of it. But on May 22nd, the Pac-Man arcade game is released. Mm-hmm. Did you know this? It I, was No. It was originally <laughs> known as Puck-Man. Mm-hmm. In Japan, that was the translation. It was Puck-Man. But when Bally Midway Corporation in America signed it up and wanted to release it in the States, they changed the name to Pac-Man because obviously American punk kids in the 80s <laughs> are going to get some spray paint and they're going to change the P to an F. To an F. Fuck man. Fuck man. So there you go. That's the story of Pac-Man, kids. Well, similar to the story with Donkey Kong. Yeah? Donkey Kong, when it was originally developed, was called Monkey Kong, uh-huh. which makes more sense because it's a monkey. Right. There's no donkey involved yeah. in the video. Like, a lot of people wonder, like, why is it called Donkey Kong? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It was due, I think it was due to, like, phone calls between Japan and America when they were, like, getting it ready to launch, and the person on the other end thought he was saying donkey instead of monkey, and that's how it got named Donkey Kong. Oh, wow. But it's supposed to be called Monkey Kong. Because it's like King Kong. Right, totally. Yeah. That would make a lot more sense. Well, yeah, that's why Donkey Kong's called Donkey Kong. I like the story of Fuck Man Yeah, better. I think Fuck Man's Fuck Man. <laughs> Somebody needs to do some nice Photoshop of what the logo would have looked yeah, like. Yeah, what would it have looked like in 1980 would have been Puck Man with an F. Oh, man. All right, so I've got one more pick before I'm done for part one. Billy Squire's Tale of the Tape comes out in May. This was his first solo album after the disbanding of Piper, which was on Casablanca Records. Yep. There's one Kiss Connection. Yeah. Um, oh, there's more. And there's more. Uh, keyboards on this album are handled by Richard T. Bear, who performed on Gene Simmons' solo album in 1978. Yeah. There's another Kiss Connection. Oh, there's more. Lead guitar handled on this by a young New York guitarist named Bruce Kulick. I've heard of him. Yeah. In the annals of history. We've met him. That's and, right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, this tune, while not a radio hit, has been notably sampled by hip-hop artists, including Run DMC, Big Daddy Kane, and Jay-Z for 99 Problems. Yeah, that's true. Among many others. They say this is one of the most rap-sampled rock albums of all time. Oh, yeah, I could have listed off another four or five. Yeah. And this is a song called The Big Beat. Legend Bruce Kulick and Billy Squire. <laughs> MC Kulick. And a little quick note, um, I messaged Bruce on Facebook when we were getting ready to record this album and just uh-huh. said, hey, just wanted you to know I'm going to spend a little clip of something from Tale of the Tape. Great playing on that, and I got a big thumbs up from him. All right, on. That's cool. So, if Bruce, if you are listening to this, hi. Hey, what's up, Bruce? <laughs> hey, listen, we're talking about Bruce, we're talking about Kistory, and we're talking about 1980. Well, man, there's a lot going on in the world of Kiss in 1980, and I can't think of a better way to wrap up this episode. Before we get out of here, before we, we take the dive here into the uh, unmasked, <sighs> let's uh, 
go ahead and remind everybody you want to check us out check us out at decibelgeek.com we've got amazing writers over there churning out amazing articles that you need to be reading uh, year end review stuff is coming up yes. on the Decibel Geek website so definitely want to get in on that you want to make your voice heard you want us to hear it go to Facebook become a, a friend of the Decibel Geek podcast all you got to do is like us get involved in the conversation you want to become intimate with Chris and myself real real intimate I'm, ugh, I don't feel good. Become a Decibel Geek VIP. And then you get the Chris and Aaron show. You get verses. You get <laughs> guitar picks. You get T-shirts. You get, man, the list goes on. Go over to Patreon.com. Check that out. Otherwise, it's all at DecibelGeek.com. Mm-hmm. And that's all the time I'm willing to spend on that today. Because now, it's time to talk about Kiss. Oh, yeah. yeah. They put out an album in 1980? Heck, yeah. The Demon, the Star Child, the Space Ace, and Anton are back. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, up and actually up until after the uh, release of Unmasked, nobody realizes that Peter Chris's contributions have been very minimal for a long time. There's been dissension within the ranks since before the release of the Soul albums two years earlier. And Ace even said in his book that Pete really didn't want to quit the band and that Ace wanted to give him another chance, but Paul and Gene were dead set on canning him. Yeah. you believe that? Ace eventually agreed with them. Yeah, and that's what he said. You know, after a while, you just kind of go on, you know. And what would become a reoccurring theme over the next few years, Ace was outvoted. Oh, yeah, and the Catman was out. Ace was also outvoted on the direction and the production of this album, which ended up a lot poppier and a lot less heavy than what he wanted. And due to the escalating tensions, Gene Simmons doesn't even play any bass on any of the Ace written songs. I don't know that he plays much bass, period, on this Probably record. not. Ace plays it himself. Busy boning Diana Ross during this time. That's true. That probably takes up a lot of your free not time. Not that that's a bad excuse, but... No, you know, and, and Ace really can probably, you know, obviously play bass pretty good. Oh, yeah. You know, even Paul was doing his own thing, like with Shandy, which was completed with all outside players. See episode with Tom Harper for that inside story. Get to hear the original demo. And the original demo. That was awesome. It's a strange time for the hottest band in the world. Yes, it is. Vinnie Pontius producing them. Yeah. And, uh... The, everybody talks about Dynasty being the uh, the disco poppy album. No, this one eclipses that big time. It uh, is other than Ace's it's, contributions. Right. It's a it's a disco album. Yeah, in my, in my view, totally a disco album. And you know, Unmasked would be the first Kiss album not to rank the platinum sales status since Dress to Kill. It only reaches number 35 on the U.S. album charts. It was also the first album that Kiss didn't even tour the United States in support of due to the album being much more popular overseas. stiffed here big time. Yeah. With the exception of the single New York City show at the Palladium to introduce new drummer, The Fox, Eric Carr. Love that guy. Then after that, it's off to Europe, Australia, and New Zealand. And that would actually be, at the end of that tour, would be Ace Frehley's final full concert with kiss even though he sticks around with the band for a few more years but as far as actually getting out and actually playing a full show the unmasked tour in new zealand that's that's it for ace there's a soundboard recording of that out there if you can yeah look up and sounds great yeah yeah i saw that on youtube Mm -hmm. yeah it's very cool i wish it was the video but at least at least there's the sound yeah you know that's cool unmasked it's one of them albums a lot of dissension you know in the kiss ranks me i like it I've never liked it. I wish they would go back and reproduce it and re-release it in more of yeah, a 70s style, you know? There's decent, and it's a weird thing, I'm into pop rock, but I, 
I think the production kills it. Yeah. And but the thing is, and I, I'll defend Vinny Ponce on this because like you know he's and he won't come on shows. We've tried to get him, and um, you know uh, our friend uh, I think it was Adam Mitchell that stays in touch with him. You know he's like he doesn't, or maybe it was Tom. No, I think it was Tom Harper. He's like I've tried to talk to talk him into coming on shows, but. He won't do it because he feels like he's been he's taken a beating by Gene and Paul yeah. in the press about it, and he's like, "Let me make it clear, this was their idea. They wanted sure. that sound. Yeah. Nobody's going to tell them what sound they can have. They they got each other. They outvote and out Trump everybody. Well, they're the ones paying the guy for sure. But, but I, you I'm know, not there's a fan, but there some are great good songs moments. on there. You know, if I met Vinnie Ponce, I would say, "Unmasked, resurrected. You think it should be heavier? <laughs> Prove it." Go back, get the tapes, do what Bob Ezrin did, and rock that sucker out and re-release it. That would be the greatest thing ever. I would definitely buy it. But in 1980, if you're Australian, you're having a good time with KISS. You're at the peak there. Heck yeah. So we're going to rock it out with KISS. You know, you got to do it 1980 on mass style. And we'll be back for 1980 Part 2 right here on the Decibel Geek Podcast next week. Merry Christmas. When I see a girl, you turn my head, you make me dizzy. I get a good vibration When I look into your big blue eyes I start to quiver and shake I get a strange sensation When you walk by me, you strut around You make me crazy I get no reason